the gospel that is for the Jew first, but also for the Gentile. He's been called to be the apostle to the Gentile. And that everyone alike is under sin, both Jew and Gentile. Uh, no one is good. No one seeks after God. Together they are uh, fallen. And that they need a savior. And um, that uh, the salvation that we have comes to us from God by the fact that he made Christ to be a propitiation. Uh, that is a, a sacrifice which bears uh, just wrath and God's wrath on sin. And Jesus becomes our propitiation. Uh, the the uh, sacrifice which would bear the wrath of God uh, for God's people. Um, and then Paul starts talking about the fact that it is received by faith and not by works. And that if we receive it by faith, we can be assured that God uh, will... Uh, be faithful to his promises to us and everyone who believes in Christ Jesus as their Savior, there will be no condemnation for them. Chapter 8 goes on saying there's nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. And then Paul, since he's probably heard in other places he's been where he's been saying this, they say, well, what about the Jew? Didn't God make promises? Didn't he make these covenant promises to the Jews back in the Old Testament? And is he, uh, is, is he faithful to that, those promises? And so Paul in chapters 9, 10, and 11 is dealing quite specifically with this, showing that God is faithful to his promises, even his promises to um, to the uh, Jewish people uh, who were the ones who had the uh, covenants of promise to begin with. And um, so chapter 11 uh, Paul, part of his argument has been that um, God certainly hasn't rejected them. Paul himself is a Jew, or is a Christian, even though he is uh, a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. And if God had completely rejected his people, then he wouldn't be uh, a Christian. But he is. In fact, God sought him out and found him you know, on the road to Damascus, made sure that he was a part of uh, this community. And then he goes on and reminds them that even in the Old Testament, there were times when it seemed like there were no uh, believers in Israel. Talks about Elijah after the, uh, um, the contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel when uh, uh, God pours down fire on the altar and the prophets of Baal are put to death. Jezebel gets upset says that she's going to have Elijah kills and he gets depressed and takes off running. And finally, um, he gets to the place and God sits him down and he says to God, says, you know, I'm the only one that's left for you. And, and God says to him, no, there's 7,000 others who have not bent the knee to Baal. And this is a remnant. And, and Paul at this place says, there's still a remnant today. Uh, he didn't say it, but he could have said it. Don't you remember what happened uh, back in the day of Pentecost, right after uh, Jesus ascended? The day of Pentecost, we had 3,000. And he can mention a few other times after that. Uh, these, these, the church growing rapidly, thousands of people at a time. Even in the church in Rome, where it started out as predominantly Jewish, and now when they had to leave because of Claudius, but now they've come back, you see these Jews. God hasn't completely done away with them. 
And, uh, and so by that fact, we see God has always had a remnant, always will have a remnant. And so he asked the question, uh, have they stumbled so to fall? Um, in verse 11 here in Romans 11. And he says, no, not stumbled so to fall. Um, they have not fallen and not able to get back up, but they have stumbled. And, and then he goes on to tell about their stumbling and why, what that was all about. And we saw it last week as we looked through <clears throat> 11 on through uh, like verse 30 or so. What, what's happening with their stumbling. And their stumbling is a benefit to the Gentiles, right? And so by their stumbling, God is able to bring in the Gentiles. And, um, and we see it in, in several different ways because God is able to graft off natural branches of the olive tree, grafting in the wild olive branches into that tree and so on. And, and it seems that as we looked at that, there are three or four places here where he goes through that. It seems like every time it's the same sequence. Uh, the idea that the Jews have somewhat, at least partially, uh, rejected uh, their Messiah in Christ. And because of that, God has brought in the Gentiles. And then as a result of God bringing in the Gentiles, uh, there will be a time when uh, he will bring back the uh, Jews uh, into the fold as well in, in a more wholesale, more than just a, a smaller remnant seemed to be what he is saying. And so... Um, He's talking specifically at this point to the Gentiles in the church. And some of the Gentiles might have been uh, looking down their noses at the Jews and saying, you rejected him. And so he's cast you off and he's doing it. Just He's, he's brought us in and the church is just Gentiles now. It's going to be just Gentiles. And um, he's replaced you with us. And uh, there seemed to be maybe a little bit of that idea going on here. And Paul is saying to them, no, no, don't, don't get the idea, don't get the assumption that the church equals Gentiles. It's not. It is one church that includes both Jews and Gentiles. And so uh, he's trying to make them certain that that's not the case. He doesn't want anti-Semitism to go on. In this paragraph I've written here out of Douglas Moo's uh, commentary, he says, To be sure, the gospel with its exclusive claim about salvation is unavoidably a stumbling block for the Jews. Birth is a stumbling block at that birth. Yeah, stumbling block at that birth. <laughs> um, the New Testament can justly be said, therefore, to be anti-Judaic in the sense that its claims leave no room for the claims of Judaism to mediate salvation through the Torah, which is what they were wanting to do. Um, but the New Testament is not anti-Semitic, that is not hostile to Jews as such. We must remember that for Paul, the church was both rooted in the Jews and heavily populated by Jews. The coming of Christ did not for him involve ethnic subtraction, as if the Jews were now being eliminated, but addition, with Gentiles being added to believing Jews. Paul's boundary uh, for the people of God is a religious one, faith in Christ Jesus, in Jesus Christ. 
not in an ethnic one. We must not become so focused on the theology of Paul's teaching here that we miss its purpose. And his purpose at this point is to criticize those of us who are Gentiles for arrogance towards believing and uh, toward believing and unbelieving Jews and to remind us that our own spiritual heritage is a Jewish one. Jesus was a Jew. He's the promised seed to Abraham. And um, while we wouldn't necessarily say it's 100% right to say that the roots of the tree um, of this olive tree he's talking about are Jewish roots, but I think it seems to be uh, where he's getting at in the context here, you're in the tree, you've been grafted into this tree, which was, was a Jewish tree, started with the Jews and promises to the Jews there. And so you're getting, you're, you're, you're being added into this, right? You've been added into this and this family, and you at this point, because you have faith in Christ Jesus, call Abraham your father. How can you be arrogant towards them? And so that kind of seems to be what he's saying. Now, Douglas Moo goes on, and he says of Romans 11, 25 to 33, he said, it is the climax uh, to all of Romans 9 through 11. All of Romans 9 through 11, talking about the salvation of the Jews. What about the salvation of the Jews? And so, uh, this evening, I want us to, to look at that and hopefully see what uh, Paul is trying to communicate to us here in Romans uh, 11, uh, 25 through 32. And so, I'll need a volunteer with a good, strong voice to read to us uh, verses uh, 25 uh, on through verse 32. I got it. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial, heart, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way all Israel will be saved, as it is written. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. All right. So he talk, he's talking right off the bat here in verse uh, uh, 2025 20, about a mystery that he's trying to make sure these people know. Now understand, once again, at this point in this passage, he's talking to primarily Gentiles. And he's talking to Gentiles about the way you should think about the Jews here. You know, not, not the arrogant uh, haughtiness over them and uh, the way you should treat them. And so he's talking about a mystery in regards to the to the Jews, what is that mystery? Who will be saved and who will not be saved? Okay, who will be saved? And I think it's uh, how they will be saved. Mm -hmm. Who would have thought this is the way God was going to do it? Old Testament, there were some Jews 
came into the people, family of God, right? Or Gentiles came into the family of God. But it was predominantly a Gentile, a Jewish thing, right? The Old Testament. If you were part of the family of God, you were predominantly uh, a physical descendant of Abraham. Of course, you had others like Ruth. You know, Ruth was not uh, from the bloodline that was uh, Jewish. Uh, Caleb, uh, Caleb and Joshua. You know, there's some other. Uh, Rahab, of course, who hid the spies. We have uh, maybe some others uh, you could mention. But predominantly, mostly, those who come into the family of God here were uh, from a, a physical lineage of, of Abraham. Now, since they've come, and we looked at it some last week, um, Jesus, taught, Jesus giving the parable um, of sending out the invitations to come to the wedding feast, right? And so it's like they were sending out the invitations to the descendants of Abraham, and they're finding reasons not to come. Too busy, got this going on, got that going on. Stop bothering me with this whole thing of the wedding feast. And so finally, what's the outcome? He sends his, he sends his uh, servants to go out and says, find anyone who will come. Bring them in. They don't have to be part of this family anymore. And then we see, of course, um, Paul, somehow the Lord showed him that he is to, uh, in Romans, he's to present the gospel to the Jew first, also to the Gentile, right? And we saw it in Acts where Paul and Barnabas go out the first missionary journey and they go to the synagogue. And one week in the synagogue, they're, they're teaching the gospel and the next week it's full. And as it's full, you know, even some of the doubters have come in and they hear Paul uh, speaking about it and they start to uh, cause problems and trying to dissuade anyone from listening to them, turning away from what they're saying. And that's where Paul says, you know what? We had to bring it to you first. But since you don't, you don't feel uh, uh, worthy of the uh, salvation that God is bringing, we turn to the Gentiles. You know? And so you, you kind of see this, this whole sort of thing from first to the Jew. Now the Jews have, have rejected it. Now to the Gentiles. So because of their rejection... The Gentiles have benefited here. And this is what Paul has, has been saying in here in several different ways here. And um, since, since they uh, have, have fallen, uh, it means uh, future riches for the uh, Gentiles and, their, uh, and so on. But then he goes on to say, um, but if, uh, if they're... What, what will their full inclusion mean? What does that mean? What's the, uh, in, in verses 13 and 14, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, and as much as I'm a pro, an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow to make some of my Jews, uh, some of my fellow Jews jealous and to save some of them. For their rejection means reconciliation, for if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Uh, if the dough offered uh, as the first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And, the, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. And so he seems to say there's first fruits. First fruits, we see it in some of the remnant. 
So certainly there's more of a wholesale uh, bringing in of the harvest here. And so we, we saw that over and over again here in this passage. It's talking about um, the, uh, the hardening that has come upon Israel means um, that the, the gospel now goes to the Gentiles. And as a result of that, Paul's desiring to see jealousy of his people that they then might receive it. And it seems to be like this pendulum swing. Jews almost exclusively, and then they, they reject it, and it comes over here to Gentiles almost exclusively. Not completely exclusively. But then once the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, this pendulum swings back. And now it seems that, that he's saying the time is coming then when uh, Israel is going to hear this again. And they're going to hear and know that this Messiah that they have rejected is the true Messiah. And so the mystery seems to be that the way that this is going to happen, the way that God is going to bring the Jews back in. And um, that, that seems to be uh, the mystery that Paul is talking about, how salvation will come once again to the Jews. And he's telling the Gentiles this, so, so you will know God's not done with the Gentiles. Um, what are two truths we learn about Israel's hardening in verse 25. What do we say here? Uh, Lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of, of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Jews has come in. What are two things we find out about this hardening? It's partial hardening. It's partial hardening. And it's only until the fullness of the it's only until the fullness of Jews. So it's partial and it's temporal. Right? Paul seems to be saying that pretty clearly. It's partial. There are Jews who are becoming Christians. There always will be. There's always going to be a remnant. So it's partial. It's not complete hardening. But there is a partial hardening. And it's only temporal. There, when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, that temporal hardening seems to be removed. So God removes their hardness of heart. Okay? So we see these, these two truths about uh, Israel's hardening there. What, what can it mean uh, when Paul says the full number of the Gentiles? And what does it mean for them to come in? The full number of the Gentiles. Well, I've always understood it to mean that when God has had a certain number of Gentiles that would be saved. And when that full number is fulfilled, then the Jews will be saved. Seems to be that's, I think, it's probably pretty great. God's, God, in his sovereignty, we know this, God is sovereign, and those of his elect, and he has a certain number of elect uh, Gentiles. When that full number comes in, then, uh, then the hardness of the uh, comes in means comes into the kingdom, if you will. Then uh, the hardness, it seems, of uh, the the Jews will be removed. Okay, and so we go on. Verse four, or the fourth question there. Look at the different translations of verse twenty-six. Now, this is what I've got for you here. It's over on the left side of the page. Several different translations. Now, I, I just 
took a picture of one page, but the only way I could figure out to get it uh, where I print it out for you. But there's probably another 10 translations on here, and it gives you all these different English translations. Um, this is a uh, Bible program that you can get for free, BibleHub.com, if you're interested. This is just one of the things that they they can do for you here is uh, you can get a verse and you can get all these different English translations there. When you do this, part of the benefit of doing this is to see how different, really uh, reputable translations might translate something differently. And I think you will see it uh, here. What is the, uh, notice how the, the uh, first phrase of verse 26 is translated by the different uh, translations. Anybody see any differences jump out at you? In this way? In this way. So that's different in, in, instead of saying, and so all Israel will be saved, to say, as the ESV says here, and in this way all Israel will be saved. You see it uh, also down in... Um, the Christian Standard Bible, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. Uh, contemporary English version, in this way, uh, all of Israel will be saved. Uh, good news translation, and this is how uh, all Israel will be saved. And uh, Holman, uh, Christian Standard Bible, and in this way, Israel will be, will be saved. International Standard Version, in this way, all Israel will be saved. Uh, NET Bible, and so all Israel. And, and it doesn't say in this way, but and so all Israel will be saved as it's written. So, so you, you get a little bit of a, of a difference uh, there. Um, the uh, this guy named Douglas Moo, who, who has wrote this commentary, is probably the best contemporary commentary on Romans, uh, but it can get you uh, kind of deep into things. Uh, and so, if you're into that thing, you may want to get it. But uh, he talks about the fact that the uh, it probably is a good translation of what Paul was saying here to say uh, in this way, in this way all Israel will be saved. Uh, what um, what way? In what way will all Israel be saved? Through the Gentiles coming in. Through the Gentiles coming in. Yeah, through this it's kind of a pendulum swing. Jews, the Gentiles, back to Jews. And so it's in this way God is going to use these things to bring all Israel um, back into it. So, so his point here is, is you're going to see this. You're going to see how this happens. They'll see the salvation that's been given to the Gentiles and go, that's our Messiah. <laughs> and they, will, they will, will turn and come to him as their Messiah. And it kind of seems that that is what... Um, what he is, he's trying to tell us here. This is the way it's going to happen for all the, the Jews to, to come in. This, this kind of uh, difference of uh, uh, being predominantly Gen Jewish, then predominantly Gentile, and now back to predominantly Jewish. Um, and so that answers number five there. Uh, how are we to understand the, uh, the phrase in this way? I believe that that's it. Now, Remember that's added to the Bible, though, what King James says, and so all shall be saved. We don't say in this way. Yeah. Is that in this way in the original 
right yeah. into the bill, or is it just something that yeah, it's, it's these in other interpreters just added yeah. to it? Yeah, it's, it, you can get it out of the Greek, and um, I thought about running you um, what's called a Greek interlinear, and where it takes the, the, it gives you the Greek, and then it'll take the Greek trans, transliterated, so it gives you the Greek words spelled in Greek symbols, and it'll give you the English symbols for the Greek word, but then it'll tell you what the translation of that word is. <coughs> and, and you can see it there that there's some, some things um, can be taken more than one way. And... Um, Hutos. 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 Absolutely. I remember that now. Yeah, you were supposed to remember it now, right? <laughs> it means thus, so, or in this way. Yeah. The, the word hutos, which is used there, is thus, so, or in this way. And um, so it can be translated different ways, let me, since you're asking on that specifically. And, and it's a proper question. Well, I'm so afraid I'd be afraid to interpret the Bible because you've got these professors got ten degrees, and they change the Bible to their opinion the way it should say. Yeah, it's not original what it's in the Bible, but in their opinion, that's what it says. Well, so I, I don't know that you, you can't say it's not in the original when, when you have a, a specific word that can be translated more than one way. And well, but there are these professors who think they're smarter than Paul because <laughs> they know more about Greek than Paul knows about. Well, listen to this. There's, there's four, but four. yeah, and they, they mean different things. Right. And we might say it, uh, just translate it love every time, but. Well, we use the word so to mean in this way as well. When you say, Mary is going to hand deliver all the invitations, and so everyone will get their invitation. When we say and so there, we mean that's the way they're going to get all their invitations. Mm -hmm. So it's. Yeah. That's, what they, that's what they mean in the King James when it says, and so, is. And so. They're carrying that, that same idea, yeah. through, only it's just harder for us to see it 200 years removed. Right, you can, <laughs> you, and you can see it a different way. And so, all Israel will be saved. And so, in this way, all Israel will be saved. And the word hutos in Greek is, I'm trying to find it in here, where it tells you. But I can I'd be afraid. I'd be afraid to. Because you got to go what Revelation says. If you start adding to the Bible, right. you're going to add these legacies. If you start taking stuff away from the Bible, the original script, you're going to take your wife that way out of the other. Well, I'd be afraid to. Yeah, I, you're not, you're, you shouldn't You should translate the Bible, in my opinion, the way it was originally written in Greek. Don't change the way I think or the way that I, just because I got 10 degrees, that don't make me a little smarter than Paul or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the other. So we should not add to the Bible. That's where King James had a lot of problems with them. They started adding these footnotes into what the Bible, the original book said, instead of what the original book said. Um, the Greek word hutos is used there. It is translated, this is the word that's, that's used there. The word 
if you were to look into a dictionary of Greek, okay, it would say the word hutos can be translated so. Um, I think so that. Um, in this way. If that is the case, this word has these different meanings in English. Okay? What, what, it, what determines for us which one of these we might take? Now, um, in, in a sense, even if James has just mentioned um, this one and this one, you can sometimes when you're when you're reading them that way, they make there, there's not a difference between if we were going to say this way or this way. It's just part of translating different languages. Um, and, and so when one group of translators looks at it, they see this word "kutos." They got to determine which one of these definitions fits best in the English. So they're not changing the Greek at all. They're, they're not making this up as if it's not a, a, uh, an actual uh, way that Zutos is translated. And, and I, can, I can show you that too. I mean, I, 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 in fact, I ran it off when we did this in the men's uh, group on Monday nights um, so I could show them. And I didn't bring it in here, but uh, nobody in there asked that. So. <laughs> but anyway. That, that is just the way it is. So, so when you say, I'd be afraid to change it, I don't, I don't see them changing if they were to totally just say, well, I don't like the word hutos there. We're going to put in a different word there and, and translate what we want. Then, then that's a problem. Uh, I agree. But to say, uh, and in fact, uh, either one of these uh, goes either one of these will fit in there uh, as you see the different translators uh, doing it. Um, Matthew 6, 9 has the same word, begins with the same word. It says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father who art in heaven. Okay. And it's the same, it's hutos, where they translated it in this manner there. Well, well I, I, I know what you're saying, and I know your concern, and, and it is a proper concern. Mm -hmm. um, but but um, the reason that uh, I'm saying that it, it, you have different translations translating differently, mm -hmm. you've got a word that is translated differently at times. So they're not changing the words of Scripture. They're trying to determine which way this word is most appropriately translated in that text. But it's been since 1611, I don't know when these dozens come out, for two or three hundred years they use so. So these professors come by three hundred years or a thousand years after the King James was written. They said, now we're going to change it to in this way. So which is you go by? Should you go by what they said? 2,000 years ago, or should we go with what they did or said in 1949? Well, you see what I'm saying? I, 
I do understand what you're saying. There were English translations before the King James too that might have, I, I don't have access to them right here. They could, they could have said it that way. Geneva Bible was one of the first two English, I mean, the popular ones yeah. on the market. Yeah. And they put in so in their own word, translation 1611. Uh, Geneva Bible come out a few years before the King James did, but it basically says the same thing. I've read both of them. Well, anyway. Anyway, the idea here is to say, okay, is Paul saying, uh, this, and it seems to fit the context here quite well to say, uh, is this the way that all Israel is going to be saved? Is this, is this it? And I, I believe that that is probably true. Now, it, it certainly doesn't make any difference because you still have this term, all Israel. And so, all Israel will be saved. And who talks? All Israel will be saved. So, or so in this way, this is the way all Israel is going to be saved in the way that he's, he's suggesting here. And if that's the case, because I don't think this is getting to anything you're going to disagree with at this point. I'm not trying to... Uh, pull something on you here, okay? This is still, we're still coming to a, a conclusion that I think you agree with uh, because I know what you've been taught in the past and what you believe. And this is it, okay? This is what I'm trying to show you here is still that same thing, okay? That, it's just that's that. That's going to happen after the Gentiles, all the Gentiles have been saved, then all the Jews will be saved. Um, as you know, before. Fullness of time of Gentiles, there's many Jews that even when Moses' time, when they worshiped the cage, there's a lot of those that most of them are Jews and they sure wasn't saved. Yeah. So you're talking more of a, a nation being saved, not an individual. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not every individual in it, so we kind of get. We, we kind of. Excuse me. But now. That's all right. No, that's all right. I said all the Israel will be saved, but they all be saved after the Gentile fulfillment of Jews and sins. Yeah, we we still need to look in in because there are different ways of understanding who are all Israel. Okay, there. Yeah, there are those who have believed. Um, before the King James came out, there were those who believed and taught that all Israel truly meant the Israel of God, which uh, um, Paul talks about at the end of Galatians. He calls the church the Israel of God. And that that Israel of God includes both Jews and Gentiles. This was a belief that was held by... Um, I believe it was held by Luther, it was, was held by Calvin, and it's been held by uh, many since that time. So that the, the, uh, the community of the elect um, would be... Of the elect. And it would be Galatians 6, 16. 
So that's kind of where it's you get that idea of Galatians 6.16 where it talks about the church to Israel and God. And, uh, and Calvin and others held that view. Okay? Um, and I, I know that um, other places in scripture, you know, we, we, we looked at uh, Ephesians uh, 2. Once you were not a people of God, but now you are the people of God. And so we're included with all the, the people of God here, um, a part of the same uh, family. And I can kind of understand that there. But that's not, to me, that's not Paul's, uh, that's not in the context right here. This isn't what Paul's dealing with. Paul is dealing quite specifically with a uh, the body of uh, Jewish people uh, who have rejected the Savior for a while and he seems to clearly be saying that there's going to come a time when they will come back and um, so I, I, have a, I have a hard time thinking that it, it fits especially from chapters 9 through 11 where he's dealing specifically with um, the, race of the, or the race of people, the race of uh, Jews. And so I have a hard time seeing how he would just all of a sudden change it right here yeah. without without so much telling us. Now that sort of thing that does go on. I mean, in Scripture, but I don't. I, my personal belief is that's not what's going on right here. Yeah, when he's saying all the Jews, he's not saying all the universal Christians. Right. That's what I What's the be there? The na the nation of Israel? Yeah. Now, when we say the nation of Israel, it doesn't necessarily mean every single Israelite. See this down on that little uh, quote underneath there. Paul writes, all Israel, not every Israelite. And the difference is an important one. All Israel, as the Old Testament and Jewish sources demonstrate, was a corporate, has a corporate significance referring to the nation as a whole and not to every single individual who is part of that nation. So when we say all Israel, we're not necessarily saying every single Israel, Israelite at that point, okay? But what we would be saying here is the nation as a whole, as a corporate entity, they seem to be seeing that Christ was their true Messiah and uh, massive uh, turning to Christ as a result of this. Uh, there is a third option that uh, people who believe the Bible hold to. And, um, and that is that it, it has to do with the elect within the nation of Israel. Um, it's because I'm a Jew that I don't think I'm going to go to heaven. Right, right. So, and, but, but here with the, with the nation, and so that's what he's saying, not every single in, individual Israelite, but that there would become such a uh, God removing the hardness of their hearts and so many of them seeing in that and him giving them uh, taking away their hearts and stones giving them a heart of flesh and, and they're believing and seeing and turning to it um, this one 
has to do with the fact that, or, or saying that, uh, um, that there will continue to be a remnant from the day of uh, Paul when he says, I'm an Israelite and there are many others like me who are Christians today. And that's part of the remnant. And so this idea is that it has to do with all of the, all of the remnant uh, of Israel uh, during this period of time and that uh, they would be saved. Um, my, my personal lean would, would be right here. Um, I have a problem with this one. It doesn't seem to, to fit the context. It seems that you're throwing in another idea, which is there in Scripture, but we had not been dealing with it in chapters 9 through 11. Chapters 9 through 11, we've been dealing with uh, the nation of Israel who's rejecting them at this time. But Paul has brought into the almost immediate context here the idea of a remnant, uh, the elect within Israel uh, all the time. And so all of the elect within Israel would be saved um, as a result there. Um, that, that has some strong points to it. I didn't point out any of them, but it does. If, if you're reading in it, they can make a pretty strong argument for that. But, but my personal lean is, is still that uh, after the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, God removes the hardness of the heart of the nation of Israel. And they see and they hear and they respond. And the floodgates are open, and God begins to graft so many of those those uh, <clears throat> limbs back into the tree. Does that have a thing to do with the 144,000 that were saved in the tribulation period? I mm, see. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I uh, when we get to when we get to that. See, I I have problems with the uh, numbers in in the book of Revelation uh, being taken quite so literally at times like that because uh, it's a... That's why I didn't... If God says yeah. something, I take it in his word. I don't say, well, it don't mm -hmm. mean something else. Well, God you, said it, so I believe I, I know, I know you're saying that. But you, you don't, actually. I can show you places. You'll go, well, that's what that means. God talks about trees waving their hands praising him, you go, no, it's not supposed to be, they don't have hands. We all know that. Other times, um, <clears throat> in fact, where the 144,000 are talked about in the, in the same context there, a little bit later after the 144,000 are talked about, it's talking about the same group, and it says the number of people who were so numerous you couldn't number them. Hmm. Um, and so... I think the 144,000 are uh, symbolic. Uh, it could be, it could be that, but I, I think it's uh, supposed to be, especially in, with the book of Revelation being a book of pictures, and pictures supposed to be uh, representative of something, uh, not necessarily the, the, the thing itself. But, um, so, I, I would say there's a whole bunch of people, fullness of people, and I wouldn't limit it to that number. Um, but, uh, um, and I'm not real sure when, when this takes place, except to say it seems to be from Paul at this point, it takes place after the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So. It said that 144,000 of all Jews, they was not all Jews, because uh, Joseph's two sons was in blood, 
dedicated him to this 144,000 labor by what I understand Jews, they were saying they were Egyptians. Yeah, in part, that's part of it. Another part is some of the some of the 12 tribes of Israel are left out. Dan's left Dan's out of that there. list and seems like somebody else is left out of that I list. And, that yeah, and Joseph's um, two sons are, are included yeah, in that yeah, list yeah. and what some other... Ephraim and Manasseh, yeah. Yeah, the list is not the same list you would see in an Old Testament list. And so we, when you get the uh, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes and you come up with, you know, 144,000, um, there are a number of reasons to think, well, maybe... Maybe that's we're, we're we're using some symbolism here. But we, we will deal with some more of, of these things as, as we go along. But uh, this, you know, Paul doesn't say exactly when this is going to happen. He doesn't bring in the idea of a thousand-year millennium. He doesn't deal in this passage with the return of Christ at any point in here. All he does seem to say is that something is going to happen before Christ comes back. And that seems to be that, you know, massive salvation of the nation's Jewish people. Um, so, I mean, I got curious about this as far as salvation. And in 1948, there were no Christian Jews in Israel. Really? Now there's like 275 different Christian churches. Wow. Jewish, not cool. Jewish, Jewish. So we're starting to see a movement. Well, that's cool. Um, the, the Jewish Christians won't start having sacrifices again. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I don't think some people think they do, but I don't think they do. Yeah, he, Hebrews. Hebrews says no. So, yeah, they, anyway. They couldn't supply that many animals for like they did back there in Moses' day. Fear a thousand sheep a day. Yeah. We're going to get all these sheep. Okay. Um, <clears throat> next week we'll move on. Um, I think where we want to go. Maybe go. Um,
I don't know if we're going to spend a whole week on 1 Corinthians 15, but we will get there. And um, so we may include some other stuff together with 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 definitely talks about uh, the return of the Lord, what it looks like, what will happen to us at that time. And so uh, it's uh, called the Great Resurrection Chapter, right? Y'all knew that. And you would have remembered that if I'd asked you the Great Resurrection Chapter. But that is where uh, rated at funerals, right? And where uh, our Lord returns and, and our bodies that have been sown perishable or raised imperishable. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. You know, these sorts of things. And he talks pretty specific, gives some specifics about what that is going to look like. And so we will get into some of that next week. Um, and we may pick up another uh, uh, chapter or two. Uh, other things are kind of similar to that. It depends on if I think we can get through it in 30 minutes or not. Do I? First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians uh, four. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. <clears throat> Let's pray.